0: Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are letting it go, releasing the bad and purging our toxic feelings. These feelings might be right at the surface, bubbling up on a daily basis, or they could be buried deep, accumulating throughout our lifetime. Either way, they gotta go. No more will we let negativity take root and affect our day-to-day, causing us to doubt ourselves and the people we encounter. No more will we be burdened by regret, blaming ourselves for past, present, or future. Today, we are taking ownership of the next step in our lives and choosing to follow a new path, a new path of understanding and awareness, and a new path to power, the power to forgive and let go, unshackling us to become something new. Ready to embrace this new, curative approach to life? So let's be real. Do you need a reminder to purge toxic feelings? Do I need to dedicate a show and initiate the explore for forgiving and letting go? The fire is hot. It burns your finger. You pull back your hand. Should this be a natural response to all things that are bad for us? Oh boy, that does make perfect sense, but for whatever reason, it's not that easy. I don't know that we intentionally seek out the bad, rolling around in the stink like a precocious puppy, but nevertheless, it's all around us and hard to dodge on a daily basis. Sometimes it feels as if we're on our backs, floating aimlessly in a sea of negativity, rising with the swells and being sucked under by the current, coming up barely able to get our breath. Do we really have a choice? Or is it easier to adopt the mantra, if you can't beat join 'em"? join them? Let's look at the pros and cons from every angle. It isn't just a matter of letting in negativity, listening, and even repeating. What happens when negativity takes root? How does it change us in our lives? Can a sunny disposition solve your problems, or could it prevent you from being present and walking through the hard times? What if we said no, dealt with what we were already carrying around, let go freeing ourselves, and moved on. Then what? All good questions, and I'm glad you've tuned in. Elizabeth Scott is the author of Eight Keys to Stress Management. She shares the effects toxic feelings can have on us in an article she wrote for VeryWellMind.com, how negative emotions affect us. Anger, frustration, fear, and other negative emotions are all part of the human experience. They can all lead to stress and are often seen as emotions to be avoided, ignored, or otherwise disvowed. But they can actually be healthy to experience. A better approach is to manage them without denying them, and there are several reasons for this. The idea of managing negative emotions is a complex one. It doesn't mean avoiding them. Avoidance coping is actually a form of coping that attempts to do this, and it can often backfire. It also doesn't mean letting these negative emotions wreak havoc on your life, your relationships, and your stress levels. Unmanaged anger can compel us to destroy relationships if we allow it. Managing negative emotions is more about embracing the fact that we're feeling them, determining why we're feeling this way and allowing ourselves to receive the messages that they're sending us before we release them and move forward. Yes, that statement may sound a little odd, but our emotions are definitely designed to be messengers to tell us something. These messages can be very valuable if we listen. Managing negative emotions also means not allowing them to overrun us. We can keep them under control without denying that we're feeling them. When we talk about so-called negative emotions, it's important to remember that these emotions in and of themselves aren't negative as in bad. It's more about them being negative as opposed to positive. Emotions aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just states and signals that allow us to pay more attention to the events that create them. This can either motivate us to create more of a certain experience or less. Unlike some emotions, negative emotions are not always pleasant to experience. But like most emotions, they exist for a reason and can actually be quite useful to feel. So how do negative emotions affect us? Anger, fear, resentment, frustration, and anxiety are negative emotional stressors that many people experience regularly, but try to avoid. And this is understandable. They are designed to make us uncomfortable. These negative emotional states can create extra stress in your body and your mind. This is uncomfortable, but can also lead to health issues if the stress becomes chronic or overwhelming. Nobody likes to feel uncomfortable. So it's natural to want to escape these feelings. And the dangers of unmanaged stress are real. There is a feeling that people sometimes have that these emotions will last forever or that the feelings themselves are the problem. More often, these feelings are beneficial because they can also send us messages. For example, anger and anxiety show that something needs to change and that perhaps our well-being has been threatened. Fear is an appeal to increase your level of safety. Frustration or resentment motivates us to change something in our relationship. Basically, negative emotions are there to alert us that something needs to change and to motivate us to make that change. even positive emotions have downsides. Positive psychologists also argue that while there are many benefits to positive emotional states like hope, joy, and gratitude, there are also negative effects that can come from them. Optimism, for example, has been linked to many beneficial outcomes for health and happiness as well as personal success. However, unchecked optimism can lead to unrealistic expectations and even dangerous risks that can lead to loss and all the negative feelings that can come with it. More uncomfortable emotional states like anxiety, however, can lead to motivation to make change that can create more success and avoid danger. Negative emotions are designed to keep us safe and to motivate us to improve our lives just as positive emotions are. The field of positive psychology is experiencing a second wave of research that is focused not only on what makes us happy, resilient, and able to thrive, but also on the dark side of happiness. Experts have learned more about how our negative emotions affect us and what to do with them and how we can remain emotionally healthy throughout the process. Just as there are benefits to negative emotions, there are detriments to false positivity. Where we shame ourselves for experiencing these natural states and try to deny them or force ourselves to pretend we feel more positive than we do. A better strategy is to accept and even embrace our negative states, while also engaging in activities that can counterbalance these uncomfortable emotions in an authentic way. There are several strategies that have been explored and recommended as a means of accepting and processing negative emotions, as well as emerging techniques that have been developed with this research in mind. A specific group of approaches is gaining popularity among therapists and coaches. These techniques, also outlined in research by Carrie Sims, have the acronym TEARS of Hope. So here's what it entails. TEARS. The T stands for Teach and Learn. This means to embrace self-awareness and increase personal knowledge of your body and mind and how they're responding to stress and other emotional states. This allows you to understand when you're upset and why and a better able to interpret the signals your body is sending. The E stands for express and enable sensory and embodied experiences. This one sounds a little more complicated, but it simply involves encouraging openness and curiosity within yourself to increase your acceptance of what comes. The A stands for accept and befriend. It can be highly beneficial to actively focus on increasing your own self-compassion and tolerance for frustration. The R stands for reappraise and reframe. You can use cognitive behavioral approaches to see things differently. And the S stands for social support. This can involve the practice of loving, kindness, meditation, which you can expand your feelings of connection to others and your self-compassion while you invest in relationships. Now, hope. The H stands for hedonic well-being and happiness. Research shows that it can be highly beneficial to have a three-to-one ratio of positive versus negative emotions, meaning that you add positive experiences to your life, Focus on happy memories and savor success. To increase the amount of time you spend authentically feeling good, for example. The O stands for observe and attend to. Try to practice mindfulness and non-judgmentally attend to things in life. The P stands for physiology and behavioral changes. Focus on relaxation, breathing exercises, and self-care. And the E stands for eudaimonia, strive for goals in life, and a sense of authenticity. There are other strategies that are recommended as ways to increase positive emotional states and personal resilience to stress and feelings of negativity so that negative emotional states don't feel so overwhelming. Because of the research on positivity, we know that this can be a beneficial thing in itself. Here are some additional strategies that can help us cope with negative emotions. So here is the best possible self exercise. This involves envisioning, you guessed it, your best possible self and what that would look like. This exercise has been shown to lift the mood and bring a sense of optimism, both of which bring lasting benefits, of course. This exercise can be done as a journaling exercise or simply visualization, but basically involves envisioning your life in the future and challenging yourself to imagine the best possible life you can live, the best possible version of yourself. Research has shown that people who engage in envisioning their best self for at least five minutes a day for two weeks experience a more positive mood and an increase in optimism compared to people who spent the same amount of time simply thinking about activities in their day. For five minutes a day, this is a great use of your time. How about a gratitude letter or visit? This activity involves expressing gratitude to people who have done kind things for you. This includes both minor or major acts of kindness. This could be a letter to an elementary teacher who inspired you to be your best, or a visit to a neighbor to let them know how much you appreciate knowing they're there. It can be any letter or personal conversation expressing to someone what they have done for you, what it has meant to you, and that you appreciate them. These expressions of gratitude bring great benefits to the recipients, but even greater ones to the person expressing the gratitude. Most people who engage in this activity report that they still feel very positive feelings from it days and even weeks later. How about taking a mental health day? This is taking a staycation, for example. It involves creating a day that's filled with positive experiences that you've had on vacation while minimizing the stress you'd have on your regular schedule. It operates under the same premise that the other positive building exercises follow, that an increase in positive emotional states can bring a greater sense of optimism and resilience, and it has the added benefit of minimizing stressors for the day. This can offer a nice interruption from chronic stress and a chance to recover emotionally. To do this, create a day filled with activities that you enjoy. It really is all about balance. I used to be so black and white, hot or cold, yes or no. But now I see the gradient and strive to live in its balance. But could someone really be too positive, too happy? That seems like something only a pessimist would say, but when you step back and look at the bigger picture, it's really unrealistic for even the most optimistic person not to have a bad day. How you pull yourself out of the dumps and over the humps can make all the difference in the world. But when someone uses a happy smile to mask deeper sadness, it can be toxic. And you know our mantra... It's got to go. Samara Quinterio and Jamie Long give us their insight in an article for thepsychologygroup.com, Toxic Positivity, the Darker Side of Positive Vibes. While there is certainly something to be said for having a sunny disposition on life, it's also possible to overdose on the sickeningly sweet nectar of platitudes, such as, Everything is awesome! Let's look at the dark side of the positive vibes, and this is a trend called toxic positivity. How its overuse causes harm and leads to the very suffering it aims to squash. Everything worthwhile in life is won through surmounting the associated negative experience. An attempt to escape the negative, to avoid it, and to squash it or silence it only backfires. The avoidance of suffering is a form of suffering. The avoidance of struggle is a struggle. The denial of failure is a failure. Hiding what is shameful is itself a form of shame. Here is the definition of toxic positivity. The overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state that results in the denial, minimization, An invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. Just like anything done in excess, when positivity is used to cover up or silence the human experience, it becomes toxic. By disallowing the experience of certain feelings, we fall into a state of denial and repressed emotions. The truth is, humans are flawed. We get jealous, angry, resentful, and greedy. Sometimes life can just flat out suck. By pretending that we are positive vibes all day, we deny the validity of a human experience. Here are some common expressions and experiences of toxic positivity to help you recognize how it might show up in everyday life. Hiding or masking your true feelings. Feelings. Trying to just get on with it by suffering or dismissing an emotion. Feeling guilty for feeling what you feel. Minimizing other people's experiences with feel-good quotes or statements. Trying to give someone perspective. It could be worse. Instead of validating their emotional experience. Shaming or chastising others for expressing frustration or anything other than positivity. Brushing off things that are bothering you with a, it is what it is. Let's explore why toxic positivity is bad for our health. First of all, shame. To force a positive outlook on pain is to encourage a person to keep silent about their struggles. Most of us don't want to be seen as a drag or bad, so when the choice is between A, be brave and honest, or B, pretend like everything is going great, we might be tempted to adopt the latter. Author and researcher Brene Brown teaches in several of her books and presentations and interviews that the energy source of shame is silence, secrecy, and judgment. In other words, where there is hiding, secrets, and denial, shame is usually in the driver's seat. Shame is crippling to the human spirit and one of the most uncomfortable feelings we can feel. Often, we don't even know what we're feeling and that it is shame. Here's a clue on how to know it's there. Ask yourself if they knew blank about me. What would they think? Or, something I wouldn't want the world to know about me is blank. If you can fill in the blank with anything, whether it be a situation, a feeling, or an experience, there is a high likelihood that there is some shame around that. How about suppressed emotions? Several psychological studies show us that hiding or denying feelings leads to more stress on the body, and increased difficulty avoiding the distressing thoughts and feelings. In one study, for example, research participants were divided into two groups and shown disturbing medical procedure films, while their stress responses were measured, like heart rates, pupil dilation, sweat production. One group was asked to watch the videos while letting their emotions show, whereas the second group of subjects were asked to watch the film and act as if nothing were bothering them. And guess what? The participants who suppressed their emotions acted, by acting as if nothing bothered them had significantly more psychological arousal. The emotion suppressors may have appeared cool and calm, but on the inside, stress was erupting. These types of studies show us that expressing a broad range of emotions, even the not-so-positive ones, having words to describe how we feel and facial expressions to emote, yep, can even mean crying, help us regulate our stress response. When we don't want to show a part of ourselves, we create a fake face or public persona for the world. That face can sometimes look cheery with a happy smile stating everything happens for a reason, it is what it is. When we go into hiding like that, we deny our truth. The real truth is, life can hurt sometimes. If you're angry and the angry feelings aren't acknowledged, they get buried deep within our body. Suppressed emotions can later manifest in anxiety, depression, or even physical illness. It's important to acknowledge the reality of our emotions by verbalizing them and moving them out of our bodies. This is what keeps us sane, healthy, and relieves us of the tension caused by suppressing the truth. Once we honor our feelings, we embrace all all of ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and accepting ourselves just as we are is the path to a robust emotional life. What about isolation and other relational problems? In denying our truth, we begin to live inauthentically with ourselves and with the world. We lose connection with ourselves, making it difficult for others to connect and relate to us. We might look unbreakable from the outside, but on the inside, we're just scared little teddy bears longing for a hug. Have you ever been around a sweet, sugary, just-think-happy-thoughts-Pollyanna kind of person? How comfortable are you with spilling your guts about the deep emotions you're feeling? Even though the person might have the best intentions in the world, the message they're mindlessly sending is... Only good feelings are allowed in my presence. Therefore, it makes it really difficult to express anything but good vibes around them. The relationship with yourself is often reflected in the relationship you have with others. If you can't be honest about your own feelings, how will you ever be able to hold space for someone else expressing real feelings in your presence? By curating a fake emotional world, we attract more fakeness, resulting in counterfeit intimacy and superficial friendships. So, if you do struggle with that, think about this alternative approach. Let's say your comeback is, don't think about it, stay positive. How about changing that to, describe what you're feeling, I'm listening. Instead of saying, don't worry, be happy. How about, I see that you're really stressed. Anything I can do? Failure is not an option. How about, failure is a part of growth and success? Everything will work out in the end. How about, this is really hard and I'm thinking about you. Positive vibes only. Instead, consider... I'm here for you both good and bad. What if you're thinking or saying, if I can do it, so can you? Alternatively, everyone's story, abilities, and limitations are different. And that's okay. Delete negativity. How about suffering is a part of life and you're not alone? Look for the silver lining. Hmm, I see you. And I'm here for you. Everything happens for a reason. Don't you hate that one? (laughs) How about sometimes we can draw the short straw in life? How can I support you during this hard time? And what about this one? It could be worse. Hmm. That sucks. I'm so sorry you're going through this. Being a healthy human being involves being conscious of ourselves and how we show up in this world. If you recognize yourself as a transmitter of toxic positivity, it's time to cut it out. You're hurting yourself and the people you care about most by insisting on this monochromatic mindset. Instead of practicing toxic positivity, aim for balance and the acceptance of both good and bad emotions rather than an all or nothing thinking. I spoke with someone the other day who was going through some tough trials on their journey. As you know, I'm a visual thinker and speaker, so I shared some visualization that helps me. Sometimes in life, you're overwhelmed with the pressures all around you. I liking it to be in the jungle, hacking your way through with a machete. Imagine a dense jungle where you can't see anything in front of you but what presents itself to be directly in your way. Hack, hack, hack. Now, imagine you can crawl up to a higher vantage point. Look down at your life with the perspective of an aerial view over a mouse maze. You can see where you've come from, where you're going, and any pitfalls in your way. You can also see the sheer size and scope of what you're dealing with. Wouldn't this type of perspective be invaluable? To help you gain this vantage point, I like to think of my heart and soul as being unmeasured by this world. Inherent to me, it's what makes me unique and distinct. My heart and my soul will not be undone, but will live above the trials of this world forever. My body is my flesh— and it's susceptible to the pain of my journey. It might endure my trials and power through, but it can be broken and will eventually be no more. This is the difference between the mouse maze and the machete. Psychologist Nick Wingle shares how to change negative thinking patterns for good, a beginner's guide to cognitive restructuring, in an article he wrote for Medium.com. Do you often find yourself stuck in your own head, caught in endless spirals of negative thinking? Maybe it's an overly judgmental inner voice that constantly points out past mistakes and perceived faults. Or maybe it's perpetual worry about the future and comparison to other people. For many of us, negative thinking patterns like this cause tremendous emotional suffering and misery. In fact, They are the key drivers of both depression and anxiety. And while negative thinking can feel completely automatic and outside your control, with the right practice and techniques, you can learn how to retrain your mind's habitual way of thinking and free yourself from the burden of negative self-talk. Cognitive restructuring is a core technique in cognitive behavioral therapy, the most well-studied and effective approach to treating the most common mental health issues like anxiety and depression. And while it's commonly used to treat clinical disorders like anxiety and depression, it can be just as useful to anyone who struggles with overly negative thinking patterns and self-talk. Cognitive restructuring is based on the principle of cognitive meditation, which says that how we feel emotionally is not the result of what happens to us, but instead it's the result of how we think about what happens to us. This means that we can change the way we feel by changing the way we think about what happens to us. Cognitive restructuring encourages us to do several very helpful things when we're upset and trying to break free from negative thinking patterns. It helps us get organized mentally. Just like making to-do lists helps us feel more organized when we're working on a big project, cognitive restructuring helps us feel better by getting our mental space better organized. It forces us to slow down. Every negative thought leads to a corresponding dose of negative emotion. If you can slow down your thinking and have fewer thoughts, you'll end up with less emotion. It helps us be more aware. Thoughts and emotional reactions they produce can happen quite automatically. Cognitive restructuring helps us notice and become more aware of our mental habits, which is an essential step in eventually modifying them. It gives us a sense of agency and control. By noticing our default thinking patterns as just that, a default, and in generating new alternative thoughts, we can change negative thoughts from something uncontrollable that happens to us to things we actually have a good amount of control over. It helps us think more clearly and rationally by encouraging us to question and examine our initial line of thinking. Cognitive restructuring helps us to see errors or mistakes in the way we're thinking. It helps us reflect instead of reacting. When we're upset, it's natural to just react. Worry more, crack open another beer, distract ourselves with YouTube, etc. Aside from the negative effects that go along with some of our favorite reactions of being upset, like empty calories, wasted time, by always reacting with reflecting, we deprive ourselves of the opportunity to better understand our minds and learn how they work, which of course is important if we want them to run more smoothly. It breaks bad mental habits as well. We can get into mental habits like worry just as easily as we can get into physical habits like twirling our hair or biting our nails. The key to breaking those habits is to notice when we start doing them and substitute a different behavior. Cognitive restructuring comes from doing it consistently over time. Simply understanding it and doing it occasionally is not enough. For this strategy to have a meaningful impact, it must be done consistently and become a habit. With that in mind, here are six basic steps to follow in order to do cognitive restructuring. Number one, hit the pause button. Cognitive restructuring can be useful in many situations, but the best time to use it is when you notice that you're feeling a strong negative emotional reaction to something, especially if your response seems out of proportion to what's happening. Our typical way of responding to a sudden wave on negative feelings is to act on instinct, right? Feel angry? Lash out. Feel anxious? Hide. Feel sad? Have a beer. An alternative is to use sudden strong emotions as a cue to or a reminder to hit the pause button instead. Then, once you've briefly paused, ask yourself, what's going on here? When we can inhibit our instinctive response to negative feelings and approach it with an attitude of curiosity... Our chances of managing the situation intelligently go way up. Number two, identify the trigger. Once you've used sudden strong emotion as a cue to pause, the next step is to identify what event triggered your response in the first place. A triggering event is often something that happens in our external environment. A coworker makes a sarcastic comment, or a spouse gives us the look. A car cuts us off on the freeway, etc. But events in our internal environment, that is, in our minds, can also act as triggers. A thought pops into your mind. You forgot to mention a critical idea during the meeting. A memory of a recently deceased friend comes into your mind. To help identify the triggering event in a given situation, use who, what, when, and where. Who is or was present with me at the time I got upset? Because we're social animals by nature, people often play either a direct or indirect role in our emotional reactions. What happened? Literally, what sorts of things happened to me leading up to feeling upset? Remember that no detail or fact is too small to be influential. The trigger doesn't have to be something big and obvious. In fact, often it's something quite small and subtle. When did I first start feeling upset? What happened immediately before this? This question is particularly important if you're doing cognitive restructuring hours or days after the fact. And where did it all occur? Often, the initial triggers for becoming upset are a part of or connected to our physical environment. Number three, notice your automatic thoughts. Automatic thoughts are our default, initial interpretations of what happened to us. They're almost always spontaneous, like we didn't initiate them, and typically take the form of verbal speech in our mind or sometimes images and memories. For example, if someone cuts you off while driving, your automatic thought might be, What a jerk! Or if you see an email from your boss late at night, your automatic thought might be, Oh no, what's wrong? I must have forgotten something earlier. Or perhaps seeing a billboard advertisement for a funeral home triggers a memory of your father's funeral. What it looked like. How you felt. We all have automatic thoughts all the time. And most of the time, we either don't notice them at all or only vaguely aware that they're happening. When it comes to cognitive restructuring, it's important to build the habit of becoming more aware of our automatic thoughts and really examining them closely. Step 4. Identify your emotional reaction and note how intense it is. Emotions are generated from our mental interpretation of things that happen. And the type of intensity of the emotions we experience depend almost entirely on the type of thinking we engage in. For example, using that example of being cut off while driving, if your thought is, what a jerk, you're likely to feel angry. If your thought is, that blank, 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 you're likely to feel an even stronger form of anger, perhaps bordering on rage. Rage. On the other hand, if your automatic thought was, oh my goodness, he almost hit me, I'm going 70 miles an hour, I would have died. You're more likely to experience something like fear or anxiety. Your emotional response can contain more than just one emotion. If your automatic thought had been, what a jerk, he almost hit me, you're probably experiencing a mixture of anger and anxiety. In this case, it's good to note both, but typically there will be one that's stronger and more dominant. Number five, generate alternative thoughts. This is the crucial element in the whole process. Once you've identified a trigger, noticed your automatic thoughts about the trigger, and taken note of your emotional reaction, The next step is to come up with alternative thoughts for each of your initial automatic thoughts. For example, (laughs) still sticking with the car example. Instead of, oh my goodness, he almost hit me, I'm going 70 miles an hour, I would have died. You might construct an alternative thought like, wow, that was really scary. He got pretty close to hitting me, but I'm a pretty good driver and probably could have handled it. Or instead of, what a jerk, he almost hit me. You might say something like, maybe his wife is going into labor in the back seat and is on his way to the hospital. In any case, the important thing is to simply be flexible and come up with more interpretations than your first automatic one. This practice creates mental flexibility, a key component in the ability to disengage from negative thinking patterns and, and overwhelming emotions. And number six, re rate the intensity of your emotional response. After generating multiple, hopefully more realistic, alternative thoughts, return to your emotions you identified in step four and reassess their intensity. This final step is crucial because noticing and feeling the relief of your negative emotion decreasing is an important reinforcer of the new habit of cognitive restructuring. In other words, you are more likely to stick with it as a habit and benefit in the long term if you get the reward of even slightly lower negative feelings. I hope this vantage point, an alternative perspective on negativity and the effects of toxic feelings, has helped you with a newfound awareness of your own. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, as you strive to hit your balance in the gradient, take an intentional approach to your day and become the gardener of your mind. You decide what is planted, what takes root, and what you harvest to share with others. Prune back or pull the invasive to make room for your goodness to bloom. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. I stumbled through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How I bond up here.